Hi, I'm Kent Allen. I'm one of the co-founders of the Global E-Commerce Leaders Forum, or as we call it, GELF. What I love about beauty is beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So it's a window to lots of different souls and ideas. Beauty is what you see. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. On today's episode of Beauty is Your Business, we are buzzing about global distribution and more specifically, global e-commerce. I'm Jessica Quick, your co-host, and I am joined by my business partner and co-host, Denise Dente. Hi, Denise. Hi, I'm so glad to be back. I was going to say, it's so nice to have you back. Denise left me actually for the last month. She's been in Europe and it's such a timely recording of this podcast because we're actually diving into global e-com and you being abroad over the last month. I would love to ask you, what did you see while you were there? Talk to us a little bit about some of the consumer shopping experiences that you saw or a little bit about just the overall feeling of what global commerce is looking like right now. Well, I spent most of my time in Italy. And during the time that I was there, it's the time for the sales, their semi-annual sales. So everything was on sale. And I can report that people were shopping like crazy and saw lots of bags, lots of product moving, beauty still big in the marketplace. Pharmacias are still conveying confidence in the shopper's experience and really bringing about a lot of opportunity to buy beauty even in the pharmacies. So I had a great trip. It was a lot of fun and a lot of work because Europe continues to march along even though we have a very strong dollar, but it was a great experience and got to work with a lot of great people. It's so refreshing to hear that, look, we've all been living, I think, under this pressure for a little bit about what is the Forex going to look like? What is the global economy going to look like? And so knowing that it's a little bit more positive, I think, than the way that we were thinking about it a few months ago is very refreshing. And I think our guest today, Kent, we're super excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So Kent, I would love to jump in. We've asked you to join us as really a global e-commerce, one of the, I'm going to call you OGs, you've been around in this space for quite a long time. So if you could walk us through a little bit of how you got started working in international e-commerce, and then talk us through a little bit about what you're doing now with Gelf. Yeah, no, thanks so much again for having us. And Denise, I want to come back to your travels in Europe because that's certainly a very interesting area for international expansion for U.S. brands, as well as U.S. brands into the U.S. So again, I've been in the e-commerce and yeah, I am kind of an og maybe more of an ogre than anything, but uh, we've been around looking at e-commerce since the late 90s, actually, which is actually when I started as an industry analyst, you know, crazy times in San Francisco with the dot-com boom and the bust and all that. But it was a really exciting time to kind of be young and just getting into a sector. I've actually grown up with the industry, as have my two co-founders, Scott Silverman, who actually was the executive director of shop.org, which was the original organization for online retailers that grew out of the NRF. 
Jim Okamura has been leader in the cross-channel world as a management consultant for years. And in many ways, we've grown up with the e-commerce industry. And in some ways, that's what led us to start this community that we call the Global E-Commerce Leaders Forum. Way back when, there was one person on the retail team that was looking at e-commerce. And, you know, there was skepticism about whether this online thing would ever really, you know, turn into anything. And and I certainly found that, you know, in kind of the old school analyst firm that I was at, where it was mostly enterprise analysts that were just like, you know, okay, go have fun with that e-stuff, guys. But obviously, it's stuck. So we've kind of grown up with the industry. When we started realizing that there was an opportunity to pull together a community for e-commerce leaders that were interested in expanding internationally, it was really this idea that, you know, people were still trying to get the stores and online to play well together. But, you know, the World Wide Web would have suggested that there was an opportunity globally to use the internet. And that's really where we started building the community. And, you know, it's grown from there. When we started pulling together an event, if you will, which was back in 2014, what we saw was now there was like one person or to be honest, kind of a half a person, if you would, on the e-commerce team that was starting to look at international. So I'll tell you more about it. But yeah, that was kind of, you know, a little bit of my background coming out as an industry analyst and, you know, really just kind of growing up with the industry. And, you know, now we see international, especially after the pandemic, everybody understands the importance of e-commerce. You come from a wealth of knowledge and background, as do your partners. And I'm curious, when you really work with companies, what do they find some of the biggest obstacles are when they move from whatever their home country is, whether it's the U.S. or somewhere else, and try to do cross-border e-com? What are some of those pieces? Yeah, it's a great question. When we started the community, it was primarily working with U.S.-based retailers and certainly over, you know, in recent years, it's been more and more D2C brands. Really, sometimes the biggest challenge is what I would call perceived complexity. It's not necessarily that you can't do it. It's just that people will get overwhelmed. What we saw early on, and in a weird way, and I'm probably dating myself here, Jessica, but cross-border really kind of took off back in the early days of social. What happened was suddenly people would tell us, it's like, we're getting all this traffic from around the world and we don't understand why. And that was as the bulletin boards were starting to kind of turn into social media. What people found was that they would get emails from international shoppers who was like, I love your brand. I can't get it in my home country. I understand that it's going to be expensive to ship, but I love your brand why can't you sell it to me? And they would be like, well, I don't know. We'll look and see. And what you found was that, you know, the payment platform wasn't in place. Lots of different types of payments in different markets around the world. You know, this whole international checkout is not the most exciting story, but, you know, it's screening for harmonization codes, is making sure products aren't restricted. And certainly in the cosmetics industry, there's all sorts of ways that, you know, and Jessica, I know we've had a long conversation about compliance and things like that. So it's not always that simple to make sure that your complete catalog is able to, to cross borders. And then there's the simple calculating of tariffs. So many people early on just, you know, figured they'd absorb the tariffs. And in fact, the really the first generation of cross-border enablers pretty much went out of business because they were just guessing at what it would cost and they weren't really tabulating those tariffs and things like that. So, you know, there is a lot of complexity to it, but what we tell people often is just, you know, take it step by step. 
what we found kind of post pandemic, if we can call it that, is that, you know, now there's profitability, there's economic headwinds. So there are macro challenges that people are facing now. So it's not just the challenges with navigating someone's site and, and checking out, you know, certainly there's all sorts of post-order complexities. And I would argue the post-order experience right now is the way to differentiate the brand. And it's as important to preserving the brand's reputation and projecting the brand voice and the brand promise correctly so you can create loyal customers, that whole ability to track and communicate during the fulfillment process. So there are lots of challenges to international, but, you know, there's also a lot of solutions out there. And, you know, certainly a lot of the people that support our community are out there solving payment problems, fraud problems, international checkout problems, logistics problems. And, you know, one thing we're talking a lot at our event on February 22nd in L.A., is engaging the customer. And that's a lot of the top of the funnel stuff. You know, social is huge. Video is huge. So there's a lot that goes on. I mean, you think about lots of different regions in the world, many countries, lots of different governments who are increasingly paying attention, more attention to what comes across their borders, another challenge. But at the same time, you know, you've got top of the funnel all the way through the post-order experience. So yes, there's a lot of complexity, but e-commerce people are used to complexity. And the reality is the global shoppers are where the growth is. International e-commerce continues to grow faster than domestic. So, you know, the opportunity is out there. I would love to dive into the point you just made about the post-purchase opportunity. I think that I haven't spent a lot of time and you bringing it up as a potential unique selling point for the brand or really a potential for the brand to set themselves apart in the marketplace is really interesting. Do you mind sharing a little bit more in the post-purchase funnel? What are some of the things that brands could do to tackle the obstacles that a foreign buyer is having? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. And I would even argue that maybe the most important thing that they can do happens before checkout. And that's when people have shopped the site, they've loaded up their cart, and now it's time to hit that shipping page and up come the shipping cost. Really in the first days of, or the, you know, kind of, I guess you could call it the first phase of global e-commerce or cross-border what we often saw was a lot of folks in the U.S. would just kind of throw the orders over the wall, we would say, to their domestic carriers. And, you know, in the U.S., that's you know, largely FedEx and UPS and the Postal Service. And while those guys do a great job in the U.S., sometimes what that means is that they really end up marking up the cost of international shipping. International shipping has always been, shall we say, a kind of a profit center. What we talked about early on and we continue to talk about now is the importance of having, you know, shall we say, single lane specialists. So if South Korea, obviously a huge beauty market. So working with somebody who has the ability to bring product in, clear customs, understand all the different nuances to getting the product either directly to the consumer or out to people that might be fulfilling it, you know, that that's a really important part. So you know, just being able to kind of make sure that you're working with somebody who can help you get the best shipping rates into all the different lanes internationally is the place to start. 
I think the other thing too is that delivery, you know, speed and experience. And what we saw early on was that, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, a lot of times people couldn't get the product in their home market or it had been really marked up. So they're like, well, hey, let me just buy it online. And, you know, yes, if I have to pay high shipping, you know, maybe in the end, it's still going to be cheaper for me to get it this way. So we saw kind of the first phase of shoppers, which in many cases were wealthier shoppers, maybe expatriates that were living in country. Shipping costs weren't that that big of a deal. I mean, you know, people always want free shipping and low cost shipping. So there's a conversation to be had there. What we saw kind of pre-pandemic was, I guess what you could call the rise of the global middle class. And many times aspirational shoppers, their first stop is the cosmetics, health and beauty, and obviously fashions in the mixture as well. So what we saw was this aspirational shopper that maybe wasn't quite as well off. So we started to see a little bit of, a, okay, well, I can wait a little bit longer if I can get it delivered a little bit cheaper. So there's always that kind of cost versus delivery window, and that's a big part of the experience. Certainly other things that are important are tracking, and I think largely people are doing a pretty good job of tracking, but... I would say right now, as you're looking at how to take care of your international and cross-border shoppers, making as many shipping options available is really the way to go. I'm actually looking at some data right now where it breaks it down into, you know, kind of next day versus, you know, a whole month and four to five days, you know, surprisingly enough is what a lot of people are kind of expecting and receiving. So I know when we first started looking at this, you know, it was not uncommon for it to be, you know, 10 to 14 days or, or maybe even three weeks, which incidentally are kind of the next two categories. So that's one of the topics. The whole post-order experience is really, really important, though. And then what about some of the front-facing things? I know, you know, Jessica and I have spent years doing international. And one of the things when we start working with brands is they say, oh, we're doing well in our home country. And we do. We look in our Shopify or we look in our system and see that, Germany, France, Spain, we have a lot of traffic from those people. So we just want to go in and turn on <laughs> International and Shopify. And we definitely advise them about, okay, let's go through the list from regulatory to currency to taxes and some of these other implications. I'm curious from your point of view, there's this setting up of the systems from the standpoint of you've got language changes that may need to be done, you may have currency changes, tax implications, banking. Where do you come in with any of those services? Yeah, and the whole fraud detection piece is a big part too. So it's been interesting as we've worked with the community and helped people that have started really with, okay, let me start with Canada and the UK and Australia and you know, typically what you see is, you know, especially from an outbound perspective here in the U.S., it's, you know, let's target the English speaking countries. And that makes sense. But there's localization to be done in all those countries. There's a lot of lingo in Australia that is very different from the lingo here. <laughs> and, but it's very interesting too the payment piece. And I was actually just talking to a Tassie who leads international over Paula's Choice. And she was talking about how some of the markets that they're moving into in Asia until the people trust the online payment platforms, it's really difficult to get traction internationally. So it's all about building trust. It's about authenticity is probably the word we've used most at our events over the years. 
arguably the whole reason that cross-border accelerated was, especially coming, you know, when China came online, quite literally, was this idea that there's so many counterfeits in market that people are like, wait a second, if I buy directly from the site in the US, it's a pretty good bet that it's going to be, you know, authentic. So a lot of the early cross-border was really just this idea of making sure the product was authentic. So there is that kind of fraud piece. The payment piece is really important to building trust. We just talked about the impact on a brand loyalty from the post-order piece. And we talked a little bit about all the stuff under the hoods as far as making sure that somebody can actually purchase and receive that product. I think what we're seeing now as we look out, and in fact, the theme for our event next month is scaling customer engagement globally. And the reason that we're using scaling is because we're seeing more and more personalization applications, different kinds of AI magic dust being sprinkled everywhere. But we can joke about it a little bit in the industry, but it's becoming real. And, you know, interestingly enough, we were also talking to Tassie about, you know, what are some of the, the global team building technologies? And people don't think about technology as much, but early on when, when people were first trying to go into China, this was probably five years or so ago, one of the biggest challenges was, hey, we need to have boots on the ground in China. You know, if you're not there, you can't understand what a huge digital opportunity is. Of course, mobile was, you know, really the opportunity at that time. The problem was that people felt like their China team just, there was no way to kind of make them feel like they were part of the team. I remember talking, you know, it was like, well, you know, the video conferencing stuff is so clunky and there's so much difference in time and their cultural things. It was just really hard to make the remote people feel like they were part of the team. Boom, that's all changed with the pandemic. You know, not only is it pretty easy to Zoom with people all around the world and and have, you know, really high res conversations. Also, some of this metaverse stuff might be an interesting way to kind of do team building and things like that. In fact, we were just talking about the whole team went to Paris through, you know, different kind of metaverse type applications and people have fun. And so it's interesting, you know, the different kinds of technology. Certainly we've seen a lot of the operational stuff over the years. Now we're starting to see some of the kind of next generation technologies and the whole live shopping piece is arguably the biggest way to scale the ability for your sales associates, whether they're in store or in studio to kind of connect directly with people around the world. And in many ways, it's changing a lot of the different models that we're seeing as far as how people expand internationally. Kent, I'm so glad you brought up live shopping because that is something that Denise and I have had our eye on over the last probably four to five years at this point. We saw the trend coming from Asia when we were there and would see the impact of live shop. And I think it harkens to what you were talking about with trust as well. You know, there's somebody in front of the camera or in front of the person that has credibility that they know and then can talk about a product in a meaningful way. Now, suddenly it's a little bit more trustworthy than just an ad they've seen or a website they visited. And so definitely the live shopping component really seeing that start to come into the US and take off. I'm curious, as a brand, if you want to start expanding globally, maybe up till now, you've been, like you said, tossing your packages over the wall, but you really want to start engaging with consumers abroad. How can they start to think about live shopping? How can the brand start to think about really getting in front of that global customer outside of their borders? You make a great point. The whole getting in front of is kind of the end game, if you will. And you're so right. It's about building trust. 
what we found, in fact, kind of the first conversations we had on live shopping, literally, I think it was the first month of the pandemic when I guess it was what, March 17th, when everything just kind of shut down, or at least here in the US, or at least out here in San Francisco, we started a little earlier than the rest. I was talking to one of our longtime speakers, she's native Chinese, and she was just talking about what they were seeing and hearing back in China and what had happened there. Arguably, they closed earlier than us. Was that the store associates, you know, we're still going to the store sometimes, but the stores were closed. So they're like, well, what do I do? And literally, they were just picking up their phone and starting to stream stuff. And so it kind of started organically. And now, you know, I was talking to the bamboozer people who are going to be at our event next week, and they were talking about some of their big clients in Europe who are actually building studios in store. So that their associates can kind of go upstairs, if you will, and really kind of scale that customer interaction. I mean, you think of the beauty bars and things like that at the Macy's of the world. You know, that's always been a place where people come and try on and see what works. And there's that one-to-one connection that has always been so important in store. And now you can kind of take that and you can scale that internationally. We've really been looking at this for a while. I still think of one of the first events, and this was pre-pandemic. It was People were calling it live shopping at that point, but it was literally some people that were going to boutiques in Madison Avenue, like, you know, at 2 a.m. in the morning and live streaming back to consumers in China and selling stuff like crazy. So it's a big opportunity, you know, from a we talk a lot about strategic business models and supporting tactics, you know, throughout the day at our events, but certainly this strategy of building a direct to the consumer connection especially in Asia, is actually a really important topic because many brands that have wanted to connect with consumers in China have pretty much had to go through the walled gardens, you know, the large marketplaces in China. We've had a great relationship with the Alibaba folks and the JD people, and they've done great things about building marketplaces and certainly the luxury pavilions and all that type of stuff. And we're continuing to see good, strong growth there. But there's a cost to working with those platforms. And in many cases, if you're a new brand, there's a huge cost to building your brand. In fact, you know, back to your question about what are some of the biggest challenges, that brand building piece internationally can be extremely expensive and extremely challenging. So this idea of being able to kind of create these relatively low cost, highly scalable connections with consumers is something that we're going to be hearing and talking a lot about when it comes to international e-commerce in, in the years ahead. Well, Kent, you actually jogged my memory, and I had completely forgotten about this experience that I had in September of last year. I was in Italy again and walked into a store and went down to kind of the basement area where they had items on the rack and so forth. And there was a full-on crew of people taking audio and visual And I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I asked and they said that someone from China, and she was a celebrity or a TV host, was actually in the store filming and doing live, going live back home and actually showing the clothes and putting them on and she had models coming out and so forth. And she was doing all of that live. And I think that You know, looking back on that, creating that emotional connection where she was actually in Italy. So it wasn't flat and stagnant. It was she was really there. She was really in store 
there were Italian models trying the product on, and then she was, you know, giving color commentary to it. So I think that you're definitely, you know, onto something and on the forefront of what is happening with this live shopping. I love that, you know, talking about and thinking about what you can do from a scalable, lower cost resource. I mean, the idea of, yeah, if you can be present there, that makes a lot of sense. But even just having one person go is so much easier. And I think about what Denise and I over the last few decades have done to brand build in markets, and it is very expensive. And so now this opportunity of using technology in a way that lets you stay in your home country and stream or film or have direct conversations via the platform, FaceTime, whatever it may be, that allows that connection to the consumer and really builds the trust. But it's now done in a way that it's affordable. And I think that's a really interesting next evolution for international business and and consumer good sales. You know, the other piece too is the cost prevention. What's the bottom line impact? Because, you know, we're facing recessionary headwinds. You know, I I know when I was working on some of our opening comments, I, I have this graph I like to use from one of the consulting firms that it's, you know, Q1 outlook cloudy with a chance of recession, which I think is kind of where we're at right now. But the bottom line is people are pretending or planning or they know that they're economic headwinds. And what do you need to do in economic headwinds? Well, there's belt tightening. You have to be smarter about things. You, One of the big themes at our event next month is you know profitable growth as opposed to growth at all costs, which is there's an argument for both. But right now it's profitable growth. One of the big challenges that any digital brand, online brand and omnichannel as well is How do you avoid the cost of reacquiring customers? How do you reward loyal customers? How do you make these customers loyal? And the live shopping piece is huge with that. Again, it's building trust, face-to-face connections, education about the product, bringing on the micro-influencers and the nano-influencers that love the product. They're not being paid. They're not somebody that's got a million followers and is just flashing your product in front. They, They get it. They know it. They love it. So those are all parts of it. The other piece is also super important, which is, you know, preventing international returns, international returns. You know, essentially, most international returns really aren't returned. They're just in worst case scenario, they end up in a landfill and, you know, better case scenarios, they're donated or kept or something like that. So this whole idea of using the live shopping channel to educate and to make sure that people are buying what they want to buy so they don't buy three pairs of shoes and send two of them back or something like that. So it's the education piece that is really important. No, I think that's a good point that you're making, even just about the returns and just thinking through everything, right? Planning, execution, you can't know everything that's going to come up along the way, but you can plan for the things that are known. And so thinking about planning, you've been alluding to this event and would love to know more about the event. When is it? Who's it for? Who's the audience? Who's participating? And that type of thing, because that sounds like something very timely. Thank you for that. And yes, I do tend to allude, especially when we're less than a month out from the event and we're trying to really engage the retail community, especially the digital and the e-commerce side. So Again, it's called the Global E-Commerce Leaders Forum. We call it GELF. We get together with the community, you know, live and in person for a full day in LA. We really kind of cater to our West Coast, you know, West of the Rockies audience, if you will. We're in West Hollywood at the 
Directors Guild of America, and it's Wednesday, February 22nd. We we actually start today with peer group discussions and, you know, breakfast and things like that. And we get the program going around 10 o'clock. And it's a lot of different sessions, you know, trying to cover the entire world and the top of the funnel all the way through the bottom of the funnel. We have to make some tough decisions about, you know, what we talk about. But Jessica, you'd opened up talking about global distribution. And and that's kind of how we're starting the day once we get up on stage is, yes, D2C is important. Being able to sell and ship cross-border is important. But what we're finding post-pandemic is that people know they need to scale profitably. And sometimes that means going back to their traditional distribution partners, helping them understand how they can work together to reach customers online and use digital technology. So that's a big part of the conversation. Lots of other, you know, non-owned channels. I know you guys have been in the in the beauty industry for a long time and have worked a lot with international wholesale distribution. The marketplace channels are extremely important. The nice thing about beauty is once people understand what it is, it can sell well through the marketplace channel. So covering a lot of topics. We've got the live selling stuff we'll be talking about, how people are reaching Gen Z customers. The thing about Gen Z customers, which is interesting, is they don't really think about borders. You know, they're getting most of their information through social, which is, you know, the original borderless technology or or community, (laughs) if you will. So they just want to click on a button and buy it. They don't want to think about tariffs and shipping costs and things like that. So there's huge opportunity as the Gen Z community comes online. So and the nice thing about our community is we've got a bunch of sponsors that have helped us over the years put on this event so that we can, you know, retailers and people that direct to consumer brands can attend for free. We try to make it as easy as possible to come in, you know, start to either learn about what it takes to go international or if you've been doing it for a while, figure out how to kind of take it to the next level. So we have a lot of really good collection of people. It's an intimate event. Definitely, you know, it's it's a specialty topic. You know, it's not a big shop talk event or anything like that. But, you know, the nice thing is it's really easy to walk up and talk to people. And, and again, the one thing we're really trying to put together are these kind of curated peer discussions this year because, you know, coming out of COVID, people really, they just miss that opportunity to sit down and meet with people and talk shop, if you will. So thank you again. Yeah, it's it's February 22nd. You can go to our website. It's long. I should probably have a, an easier way for you guys to get there. But if you go to globalecommerceleadersforum.com and just click on the LA event and you know check out who's speaking, we've got some great speakers. We've got some you know great solution providers there that are there to help folks out. And uh, I believe we've got Jessica joining us up on stage. And we've got a, actually a beauty session. It's one of our first vertical sessions that we've done at an event. One thing that we've certainly seen over the last couple of years is just the the kind of explosion of the beauty and wellness industry. It's, you know, Southern California is kind of the, the cradle of innovation, it seems like, of these days. So, Well, it sounds exciting. Kent, I think it's such a great forum to get really more education around e-commerce and global e-commerce. And, and like you started out talking about international, both in our experience with international, same idea, there would be one person in the whole company kind of in charge of international and the same idea with e-commerce. And so being able to really help the next generation of leaders understand international and e-com and give them the tools to be successful, it's a really powerful, powerful tool. So we look forward to attending and seeing you there. If our listeners want to get a hold of you directly, Kent, not necessarily related to the forum per se, but to ask you questions or to understand a little bit more about your expertise and how you can help. Is there a way they can reach you? 
just feel free to send me an email, Kent, K-E-N-T, at globalecommerce.co. So not .com, but .co. So Kent at globalecommerce.co. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We love these types of conversations and feel like there's so much value in understanding a little bit more about the business side of some of these channels and distribution tactics. So thank you, Kent, for your time today. Hey, thank you guys so much and keep up the great work. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.